Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, you know, Father's Day. By the way, we're starting a new series today. Father's Day was perfect for it. All in, it's all in the family. So we're going to be in this for the next month. Uh, but, you know, Father's Day. Man, what a great day. Thank you, fathers, for all you do, you dads. And, you know, Father's Day is not like Mother's Day, is it? But it's okay. We, we, we're, it's all right. It's all right. You mothers, yes, you get flowers and cards and letters with deep meaning and appreciation, and we get gifts from the dollar store (laughs) or no gift. But it's okay. We're tough. We're men. We can handle it. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, If you're looking for a gift, and it's still time, I, I saw this gift that was very popular for Father's Day. It's called the... The talking fly swatter. Have you seen this? Yeah, actually, and, and you turn it on, and when you get ready to kill that fly, it says, hasta la vista, baby, and then you swat. Or it says, die, sucker, like that on it. So run out and get your dad one of those. It is, it is good to see everybody here and to have uh, so many fathers. We're going to be over in the scripture today, over in Luke 15, uh, this uh, chapter in the Bible that is very popular to some people. Some of you will know this story of a son who kind of went off on his own and then made his way back home uh, in celebration of Father's Day. This, this story, while it is a parable, that means that uh, it's not meant to be taken apart in little pieces and studied so much as it is to get over a bigger point The main point of these stories that are in Luke 15 are really around who God the Father is. And so I realize on Father's Day there are some of us here who don't have great memories uh, growing up of their fathers. Father's Day is not one of those days that they celebrate. And and I want you to know that, that I understand that, that God understands that. But I also want to invite you into this story of a Father in Heaven who loves you and loves you in in a way that no earthly father could ever love you. And so as we talk about this parable and we try to glean some things for us dads that, uh, that we can learn from this, realize this as well, that there is a father, there is a dad in heaven who loves you the way that you want to be loved, and that he's available to you in Jesus Christ and through Christ, and so even if something pushes back on the inside of you when we talk about fatherhood here today, listen to the story and gain a view of the best father you will ever have, which is your father in heaven. So we're going to be over in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. So uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn over there, we'll read this and then I'll pray and we'll jump into it. Jesus has gathered around him at this point, uh, really, uh, I would say, kind of a cross-section of everybody. He's got sinners and tax collectors, 
Pharisees, Sadducees in the group. So he has people who are looking for a Messiah. They're looking for encouragement. They've been put down by the religious establishment so much they feel like they just can't measure up. You've got tax collectors who were the most hated people by everybody during that period of time who are listening to Jesus. And you had the Sadducees, which were the biggest, the largest group of the religious leaders of that day. And and, uh, so there was all kind of people around him. And everyone's listening to these stories, to these stories. As Jesus relates to them, the father that maybe none of these folks who are listening really have been able to see yet. And so he's told a couple of other stories or parables. And then we start in verse 11. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, we pray blessing on your word this morning. I ask that you breathe life on it. I ask that uh, this would be an encouraging word for the dads here. You're the perfect father, God. And we want to be like you. And we need your help to do that. And so we ask for you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a fill-in in your handout if you would like to take it out. You should have a pen as well if you want to track along with me. There are five fill-ins there. And I just want to point out a few things here in this story. 
the Jewish people who were listening to this story would have gotten madder by the moment as they heard Jesus tell this story. Their temper would have just began to build in them and build in them until at one point in this picture, they probably would have checked out pretty much and said, what? Who is he talking about? No father would ever behave this way. Uh, Whenever uh, inheritance like this, the youngest son in this culture, in this culture, the youngest son would get a third of the inheritance. The older would get two-thirds. And so this young son, who we think was probably around 18 or 19 years old, so he's very young, a young man, comes along and uh, is brash. And uh, if you have teenagers, God have mercy. If you have teenagers, you know that uh, they can uh, request things of you without giving a whole lot of forethought you know, to it. And so uh, this young man comes to the dad and says, I want my inheritance now, which was basically saying to him, I want you dead because you don't get your inheritance until you die. So the, the Jewish people that were listening to this were just, they were probably livid. The more this story went on, the more it just looked like what kind of father would be like this? What kind of dad would be like this? This is ridiculous. But that's the point. Because this parable is a picture of the heavenly father the perfect father. And Jesus was shocking them with this story of how the perfect dad responds. Now, in the parable, I do want to be careful. There there are things that aren't covered in this parable uh, for being a good father and all, but there are some things that we need to point out here. You have a fill-in. Your first fill-in is this. His father was generous. His father was generous. In verses 17, when he came to his senses, when the son had finally ran out, after he got to Myrtle Beach and spent all of his money... (laughs) I mean, this could have been Myrtle Beach, right? I mean, he's sitting down on the beach going, gosh, I don't have enough money to stay anywhere. Uh, there's no money for food. But he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went, to his father. This is a story of scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But this father's reputation was such that even his employees considered the man a generous man. Because the people that worked for this father had enough to live off of and have a little left over. And so the son evidently had seen that in his life. You know, children are watching us. They're watching us all through life and this son had watched the dad as he dealt with his employees, how he treated them and in his moment of need, he looks back and he goes, wait a minute, my father treats his own employees better than what this guy is treating me here where I am right now. Maybe my dad will take me back and let me be simply a staff member or an employee. Maybe he'll do that. At least I'll have enough to live off of. This father was generous And I don't mean just with his stuff, not just with stuff, because in all honesty, the things that we need to be generous with, with our children, goes way beyond the stuff that we have. We need to be generous with ourselves, giving of ourselves. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others 
will himself be refreshed. If we're generous with our time, if we're generous with our hearing, and I've got to tell you, let's be honest, man. Is it not difficult to sit and listen sometimes? Now, let's just be honest. It's okay. We're all in recovery, all of us here. All of us fathers, we're recovering, but we need to be generous with these. Maybe a little less generous with this at times. Get it? We need to be generous with our ears. We need to be generous with who we are. And this son looked back and he said, gosh, my dad is, he's a generous man to even his employees. Maybe I can become an employee. He'd given up hope of ever being a son again. Maybe I can just go back and feed myself. Generosity. Oh, by the way, today when you go out to eat, your dad is going to want to pay for it. Let him. Just, it's what we do. I mean, just, just let him, okay? Just, just let him do it. And, uh, you know, dads, I also want to say this. Be generous with your teenagers. I know that's a tall order, okay? Be generous with your teenagers because, I mean, who understands what happens in the teen years? You have these sweet little wonderful, great, precious little children at 9, 10, 11, 12, and then 13, 14, you know, 15, 16. You're going, what happened? I mean, I can't have, what happened to my sweetie pie? I don't, I don't understand it. And, and I used to read all these books on raising teenagers because I had them, and none of them worked. I mean, none of them worked. None of them worked. But I did find this one line. And I want to pass this on to you fathers. This one line in one book, and I think it was called Raising Teenagers. And on the, fir- the first page of the first chapter was a simple sentence that said that teenagers need more outward signs of affection from you than at any point in their life, not less. Now, see, that's a revelation because many times they spurn that. They don't want that. It looks like they don't want it. They push you away, and, you know, you're trying to figure out when they want it, when they don't, especially if you have a daughter. And you go, like, is this now? You know, okay, that's not good. good. You know, then there's another time. You never give me any time. You know, can I figure this out? And, And just know this. Be generous with your affection. Be generous with your ears and listening and be generous with your time. Be willing to put up with being seemingly spurned and rejected. Be the man. Be a man. Be a father. And don't be stingy with your affection and who you are. Give yourself to your children. And secondly, the second fill in here is this father, his father was expectant. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. This father, it sounds to me like this father went out onto the road every day and looked down at expecting his son to return. He never gave up hope that his son was going to come back. He held on. And it's easy to give up, isn't it? We men, we compartmentalize. It's a part of who we are. To go on in life and to accomplish and to succeed, we'll take this hurt, this feeling, we'll find a box over here, we'll say, I can't feel this right now because I've got other stuff to do. Put that over there. 
They're never coming back to this family. They're never going to love me. They're never going to this. They're never going to do that. Put that over here. Slide it out the way. Don't expect anything good. But did you know your heavenly father is always expecting you to return to him? He never gives up hope that you are going to come down that road back to him. God help us to be fathers like that, that we will not give up expecting our children to return. That is a gift of faith to us, and it's a gift and a picture of who the Heavenly Father is. He doesn't give up looking for us. I don't care how far you've wandered away, and you're off somewhere. You've been out of the beach. You've spent everything. You're like, I can't go back to God. I've been back a hundred times, and I've gone a hundred times. He's not going to take me. Oh, yeah, he's looking for you right now. This is a picture of the father heart of God, and he is unlike any father you've ever known. He is expecting you to come back. He is looking for you to come back. And God help us to be dads like that. Well, we don't give up, but we expect the best. We expect good things. I mean, we expect other things out of them, don't we? High achievers, and hmm, we expect this. But when it doesn't happen, or when they stray off, do we still expect them to come back? Do we hold on to some hope and say, I'm not giving that up? I'm believing they will come back to God. They'll come back to me. They'll come back to the family. They'll be back one day. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And so we don't want to make them so bitter in their lives that they push off and don't feel like they can come back. This son in in this story he got convicted over his behavior he wasn't afraid of his dad he knew he had hurt his father and disrespected his father but he also knew his father was a generous man he also also knew that this father was able to give love and and to give uh, compassion to him and so he wasn't embittered by his dad's behavior he was hopeful And the father was hopeful, even in the midst of this. Don't you wish you had more explanation in this story? Like when the son asked for the inheritance? It's like one verse where he asked for it, and then he gets it. And I'm like, no! What was the conversation like? You know, what went down between the son and the father? But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that this is a generous, compassionate, giving father. That's the point of the story. I mean, he could have said, gosh, you've wasted. You took a third of my wealth. A third of my personal value and wealth is gone because of you. And he could have held that over him, but he didn't do it because he was looking more for the return of the son than trying to punish the son. He was expecting him to come back. He had hope for him to come back to the family, to come back to him. And that's an exercise of faith which we've been promised as followers of Jesus. Some of you know the scripture in Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. Do you hope for the return of your child? And it's assurance about what we do not see. And I think that's the picture of God here going out to the road and looking for you to return. And that's a picture of us as fathers and moms that we go out no matter what has happened in life and we expect our kids to come home. We expect them to come back. Don't lose that. And dads today, if you've like said to yourself, I've heard enough. You ever thought that? I've heard enough. I've had it up to here. Take this, put it over here and I'm not going to revisit this anymore. 
survival, right? That we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done into my family just like it is in heaven. And this heavenly father has great expectation that the children will return, that we will return. And so we can have the same faith and not grow cold and give up, but have an expectancy of good things for our children. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. The children after him. As we treat them correctly. As we expect good things from them. Faith looks down the road and expects for that son or that daughter to come home. Let's don't give that up. If you're dealing with that, and again, the picture here is God is like that. He has not given up on you. He is still looking down the road, expecting you to come home. The third one here is his father was compassionate. His father was compassionate. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You know what? Compassion doesn't mean anything unless it's expressed. You can say, are you a compassionate person? Well, really, somebody else has to answer that. I mean, you can say, I'm a compassionate man, but ask somebody, especially those closest to you, is he compassionate? Because compassion, unless it is expressed, it's just something going on in our head. But this father got up, he had compassion on him, and then the behavior respond. You know, you see the response, that compassionate response. He gets up. How many of us were going, well, he's just got to come back to me. Come on back on your hands and knees, buddy. Come on back right here. I remember when you insulted me, wished I was dead, wasted one-third of, of what I've worked for all of my life, make your way back. Instead, this father runs down the road. The minute he sees that figure coming up the road, he takes off to meet him. That's compassion. You go and you meet them as they make their way back. You know, God indeed is a just God, he's a strong God, but he is also a compassionate God. Don't let the exchanges and don't let life rob you of having a compassionate heart, Father. Let's keep it. Let's nourish a compassionate heart. Allow our hearts to be softened. This Father gets up and runs toward the wayward son, not away. And this Father runs up to him and throws his arms around the son instead of throwing arms at the son. And you know what? In this culture, in this culture, this father, and this is what the Jewish people were thinking when they were listening to this story, he had a right to slap this son down. The minute that son, that 18-year-old, asked him for his inheritance the way he did, it was such an insult that in this culture, that dad had a cultural right to nail him. But he didn't. God has a perfect right to nail us. Instead, he nailed his son so that we can be that person coming back down the road and be accepted and be forgiven. And now he calls us to be those kinds of fathers, that kind of father. And then he runs up to him and the culture expression of compassion and love was they would kiss each other and, and whatever the cultural uh, practice is for you, whether it's a handshake, a hug, or whatever, you, know, you use that to affirm instead of shunning. You know how you don't want to be around someone? 
You're like, I've had it with you, so we shun people. We do everything we can not to be around them, and we can do that even with our kids. Like, I just don't enjoy being around them. I don't want to be around them. Instead, this father ran toward him, hugged him, and then lavished expressions of compassion on him. God, help us to be fathers like that. And God, help us to experience a father like that. Why did he do that? How could he do that? Maybe, maybe there's a little picture over in Psalms 103 that expresses, uh, and maybe will help us a little bit when we look at our own kids and we're dealing with situations. Psalm 103, 13 through 16 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Could it be that that father, he looks and he goes, you know what? He's just dust. He makes mistakes. And maybe he was reminded, I'm just dust. Now let's be honest, dads. Have you ever been an idiot before? I mean, really. Ask your wife. Don't. Have you ever acted dumb? Have you ever done dumb things? Especially when you were younger. Have you? Sometimes we have to remember this Psalm 103 and we look back and we go, that's right, I'm just dust too. I'm just dust as well. I am. My son, my daughter, the one who's acting out right now is just dust. And I wish they weren't acting like that, but when they make a move, I'm making a big move. I'm going to extend the compassion that God has given me and I'm going to give it to them. We need to be reminded of their frailties, of their weaknesses, and even our own at times so that we can have some compassion. And that's especially true, again, I know I'm mentioning teenagers a lot, but... But especially when your child enters bizarro world, you know. Bizarro world is where your sweet, little, wonderful daughter or son at 10 or 11 is the most beautiful thing and loving thing. At 11, it's great. At 12, some things start changing. 13, things change. 14, that little sweet, it's like, you know, walking dead suddenly. It's like comes out. What happened to my little girl? What happened to my little boy at 11, 12, 14, 16, 17? We're like, what happened? What happened? We need to be reminded that we went through the same thing at those ages. That the heart, our heart is desperately wicked and in need of a savior, in need of a cleansing, in need of a of salvation, of change. And at those times when we're so tempted to compartmentalize and slide it over and not have compassion, let's remember that they are but dust. And so are we. Your fourth one there is, his father was forgiving. Verses 21 through 24. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. But, but, and I love this in the scripture when I say but, but the father said to his servants, quick, don't let the son have enough time to wallow in his grief so long that it's going to hurt him for the long haul. Quick, 
respond. I'm going to let him stew in his own juices for a little while. You know, that's what I'll do. Let him stew in his own juices for a little while so he'll know how bad he's hurt me and his mother. I'll just punish him that way. But this father, the heavenly father, quick, reassure him of your love. Quick, reassure him that you care for him. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Well, I might show you some affection after a year, buddy. But the way you've treated me, there is no way in the world I am going to treat you with any sense of care and concern. There is no way. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And this was a major deal. This is like a city-wide deal because when someone, this was a wealthy man. Because he, he took the biggest cow he had and he had it cooked up and the whole town came out. And it was a big deal when the son came home. And the father made it a big deal when he came back. And the father still makes it a big deal when his sons and daughters come home. The angels rejoice, it says, over one that repents. There's still a party going on when you come to God. And one day there will be a huge celebration for all of us that have returned. In the meantime, we dads pray, Thy kingdom come. Help me be like you, Father. Help me be a dad the way you are. Help me, Lord. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. See, I don't deserve to be your son, but what does the father say? This son of mine. He is proud, even with all of this behavior, to call him his son. No matter what he's done. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We can lose sight of the main thing, dads. We can make it more about us than we can them. You know, in situations where we have these confrontations with our children, somebody has to be an adult. Somebody has to be an adult. Otherwise, it's two ticks and no dog. Get it? Two ticks, no dog. Both just shrivel up, fall down. Somebody has to step up to the plate and be the man. Somebody has to do what is right and extend the compassion and the love and the acceptance. But where we fail is we fail in our manipulation, in our manipulative efforts to change our children, to try to coerce some behavior out of them that will make us feel like they're doing what we want them to do when all the time they need a heart change, which only God can do in them. Somebody's got to be the adult. Scriptures like Colossians 3, 12 through 14 uh, remind me uh, of how much work we have to do in our families. Paul says to this church, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We read scriptures like this, and we think he's talking to the church, not my family. We read this, and we go, that's how I'm supposed to treat somebody at the vineyard. You know, I'm supposed to clothe myself with humility. I'm supposed to bear with these people. I'm supposed to forgive these people. Surely this doesn't apply to my home. Really? Really? 
All of this applies to the home. And it's never going to be any tougher than it will be in the home to live this out. And yet we as the people of a great father are called to make this alive and bring this alive on the earth today. Bear with each other. Forgive. You could put your son, your daughter in there. Bear with your son. Forgive your daughter whatever grievances you may have against them. Forgive your son. Forgive your daughter as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, over all of them, put on love. That robe that that father took and he draped over that son's shoulders was the love of the father wrapped upon his shoulders. God help us. Your last one here, number five, is his father was restoring. His father was a restoring God. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He didn't make the son languish. He didn't make him stay out there for so long. He restored him immediately. Over in 2 Corinthians, uh, there's a situation in the church. If you've read, you guys ever read this? It's a pretty cool book. And um, over in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to a church where they had this, one of the many situations that was going on is they had a guy in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother. Yeah, gag me with a spoon. You know, it's <laughs> sleeping with his stepmother. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul comes along and he goes, you know, these guys were inviting him to the table. They were having lunch together. Hey, sleeping with your stepmother. You know, and everything was cool. And Paul comes along and goes, what are you guys doing? You need to put him under church discipline. Put him out of the church and pray for him so that he can repent. Put him out. But when we get to 2 Corinthians, he says this. 2 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Now, we don't read that for our families either, do we? We don't read that maybe we ought to forgive and comfort them so that they won't be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Reaffirm your love for him. This father was restoring. He rushed to his son. He didn't bring up a list of things. He could have said, I'll tell you what, buddy, you want to work for me? Well, you're starting at the bottom. Here's what you're going to do. And I'm going to monitor every little thing you do. And maybe in six months, if you've behaved and you've paid me back a little bit of that inheritance that you've wasted, then maybe I might promote you. Maybe I might give you a raise. Instead, he does everything he can to show that son that he is restored and he is a full participant and part of that family. God is never going to punish you and make you think you have got to grovel to ever be loved by Him. He is ready to receive you right now, a full son, a full daughter in the kingdom of God. God help us to be fathers who do the same. God doesn't hold our past sins over us. 
But how many of us as fathers, we want to hold our sins over our kids? Kind of as leverage? Well, I knew he was going to do that. He's done it before. You're going to do it. Well, probably so. God doesn't hold that over your head. He doesn't bring up your failures to you to punish you. If he brings your failures up to you, it's to remind you of his great grace and his amazing acceptance and love and the power of the cross to wash and to cleanse and to make you a full member of God's family. So dads, I just want to say to you, we got a tough job. We have got a tough job. But somebody's got to do it. And God has chosen you to do it with. You were God's choice. Every child is different. How does that make you feel? You created a one of a kind. And you think you can change, you know, you can treat them all the same, but they aren't the same. So it's a learning experience. But you are God's choice. It is a blessed thing to be a father. It's an awesome responsibility. But we've got a wonderful example in our Heavenly Father. And He has promised to teach us, to be with us, to forgive us, to restore us, to show us compassion so that we can do the same thing to our kids. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.